The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Jadita Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. So today, Dr. Scarlett and I get to dive into my favorite fandom, which is Star Wars. I don't know why, but I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. (laughs) Um, We also have the privilege of having a very special guest on our show today. Philip Anthony Rodriguez. Puerto Rican-American actor Philip Anthony Rodriguez is best known in the Star Wars universe as the voice of the fifth brother on Disney XD's Star Wars Rebels. This bad boy Sith Inquisitor has now garnered his own Hasbro and Lego action figures, a Funko Pop collectible, and a Topps trading card. As a voice-over actor, he has created some iconic game characters such as Noble Six in Xbox mega-hit Halo Reach and Shock Jock Maurice Chavez in the classic Grand Theft Auto series. Gamers can currently hear him as El Gato in Ghost Recon Wildlands and Jacob in The Rise of the Tomb Raider. Philip is a familiar face to the TV watcher, and some of his favorite roles include Marcus Raspoli, the Royals' henchman on the cult detective drama Grimm, and six seasons on the hit ABC family series Secret Life of an American Teenager as Ruben Enriquez. Other appearances include the original crime series thriller 24, CSI New Orleans, Rosewood, Queen of the South, The Mentalist, Modern Family, Star Trek Enterprise, and the UPN sci-fi series Jake 2.0 as Agent Kyle Duarte. He worked with Tyler Perry on Medea's Big Happy Family, and his upcoming appearances include the season finale of Seth MacFarlane's The Orville, as well as Reverie and Alex Incorporated. Thank you so much for being a guest on our show today, Philip. Oh my goodness, thank you so much, Dustin and Dr. Janina. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm super stoked to be part of this. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for being on our show. Um, I've been a big fan of your work for a while, back from Grimm, and then of course from Rebels, Star Wars Rebels, um, and I'm really excited to see you on Orville. I've been really loving that show. Yeah, isn't it great? I'm super excited too, and um, it, it's just it's it's just a, a real treat to be part of that. I mean, in addition to being a huge, huge Star Wars fan, I'm just <laughs> an overall sci-fi, comic, adventure, horror geek, and then to to be in uh, Seth MacFarlane's homage to uh, Star Trek and that whole world is is just be I'm beside myself with just glee. So that was a real, real big treat, and especially to work with him directly because I'm a big fan of him personally as well. So, yeah. Absolutely. I can't wait to see that episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me neither. I, I wasn't actually expecting it to be that type of show that it is. It, it's actually a very good homage to Star Trek. Yeah. It's and Seth, well Seth was very clear about that. He said, you know, people know him as, you know, funny Seth, be, you know, the man behind Ted. And, um, you know, it, it, he's, he's just, 
family guy and he's just one of these guys who said no 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 this is this is going to be it's going to be funny but this is going to be an adventure series and and he was adamant about that he's he's delivered with flying colors i think so i think it's great absolutely okay so let's get back to star wars here yeah um, <laughs> we all love star wars um yep. uh, my my first experience with star wars i happen to be four years old my older brothers took me out to see empire strikes back and i gotta be honest i was haunted for months after that after seeing the tauntaun get you know sliced open with the <laughs> lightsaber <laughs> it ruined me as a kid almost but it also really enticed me into that universe so what i want to ask is what uh was your first experiences with star wars i was right there on the uh with the, in the very beginning with the first Star Wars in 1977. I'm not going to tell you how old I was, but I was very young. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, when I experienced it, it was with my entire family. And even at that young an age, I I, I never experienced anything like that before. It was, it, it was engrossing, to say the least. And just to see how the story built, you know, the adventure developed, the classic tale, obviously, of good versus evil, and and then to see it come to that to that climactic finale was just unlike anything I'd ever seen, and I was instantly hooked. Um, you know, I started collecting Star Wars action figures, and you know, getting all the 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 collectible uh, containers to keep all my action figures with. I was hooked, and it, it was a real it was a real treat from then on. I knew I knew even then at a very young age, I just experienced something special. And I was looking forward to more. And uh, sure enough, George Lucas, you know, delivered on that promise to, to give us more and then sort of up the ante as the years went along. Very nice. Very nice. Um, my first experience was um, episode one, actually. Um, so I didn't come to this country until late 90s. Um, and I was uh, a teenager uh, at that time. And so my first experience was episode one when it came out in movie theaters. I went to see it with my friends and I thought it was so interesting and unlike anything I've ever seen and a few months later I went to visit a friend of mine who I knew had all of the other movies uh, I knew that he had episodes four five and six and uh, we watched all of them in one day <laughs> as you do as you yeah. do and of course I was hooked and after that I I watched all the other movies as they came out in movie theaters the day that they released. I've absolutely loved Clone Wars, and I am completely and utterly in love with the Rebels. That's actually my favorite of all of them. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the storyline on Rebels is just amazing, and, it, and yeah. it fits so well, and the animation is great. But as we're, we're, we're sitting here talking about our, our experiences and our first experiences, I can't help but think what it is about this universe that connects so many people in such a passionate way. I mean, I think that it has something for everyone, right? There's so much diversity and the storyline is amazing. And it really shows that it takes one person to make a really big difference. Mm -hmm. Like if you think about it, in a lot of ways, it's a story we've all known. There's a big bully that's trying to tell everybody what to do. Lord Vader, what about Leia and the Wookiee? They must never again leave this city. That was never a condition of our agreement, nor was giving hand to this bounty hunter. Perhaps you think you're being treated unfairly? And maybe not all of us have faced an intergalactic warfare going on. But nevertheless, <laughs> we've, all, we've all known some kind of a bully, right? And... 
And it shows that one person can make a really big difference. One person is enough to start a change, to to stand up to something that is wrong and to stand up for justice. And I think that's one of the main themes that we're seeing in Star Wars. And I think that's why it resonates across generations, because at its core, to me, it's a fight of good versus evil and right versus wrong. And um, you could be of any age and live anywhere in the world and it could still resonate. Yeah, I, I, t- I completely agree. And then, you know, I, I think with that with that story about where, you know, and, and just any one person can make a difference. I, th- I think Star Wars also proverbially created a snowball effect because as, you know, with Luke Skywalker as your main protagonist, as the story develops, he also gets people to join in on his on his impassioned cause to fight against evil. In comes his relationship with Princess Leia and Han Solo and, and Chewbacca and, and, and the whole Rebel Alliance. And it, it, it's that sort of also something that resonates with me, the power of one creating this power of many to, to overcome evil and rising to the occasion and saying, you know, we can, we can defeat this together. You know, if, if, you, if you help me, I'll help you. We can all join in on the bandwagon and, and overcome this evil if we band together. So in, in unity, there is power also. And we also uh, allude to that with, um, you know, movies that are that are sort of like prequel or backstory uh, situations like Rogue One, you know, where, uh, you know, the, the galaxy is, is in dire need of a sense of hope. Your Highness, the transmission we received, what is it they've sent us? Hope. And that hope carries over into the into the initial, you know, four, five, and six Star Wars trilogy, where one person in uh, Jin Erso, you know, creates the early overtures of rebellion and stokes the fire, so to speak. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? What chance do we have? The question is, what choice? Run, hide, plead for mercy, scatter your forces. You give way to an enemy this evil with this much power, and you condemn the galaxy to an eternity of submission. The time to fight is now. So that and that that's that's a great way to begin it because you know in in this sense of hopelessness and and uh, oppression, she rises to the occasion and she says, "Why why can't we defeat it? We must over, uh, we must overcome evil, and, and here's how we're going to do it with hope." You're asking us to invade an imperial installation based on nothing but hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Absolutely. uh, I love that you brought up Rogue One. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, We watched it many times since it came out. And every time I get chills, you know, through multiple scenes and... I think it's it's such an incredible message that hope is worth not only fighting for, but in some instances, hope is worth dying for. Exactly. Because all of those sacrifices they they made meant something, mm-hmm. and started a revolution that without them wouldn't have happened. Yeah, exactly. And and I think and I think that's that's very key that that you know hope hope is worth dying for, and and as painful it is as it is to watch. You see all the sacrifices that the characters made in in Rogue One to give Princess Leia that opportunity to get those plans, to get them sent out to the right person, to uh, to recruit the help again of Obi Wan Kenobi 
And, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, I get all choked up thinking about it because it's like it's it's those sacrifices that they made in, in all of them. The whole team of the of the Rogue One mission, the sacrifices they made, it, it just stirs all sorts of emotions in me. So I, I, I thought that was a really, really you know, clever thing. I'm, I'm tearing up as you are talking me about this. <laughs> in all honesty, because, you know, I, I, it hit me what you said, because there is so much power in unity. Yeah. Uh, and you see it even in our, you know, society with the way that they're trying to divide and conquer us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. you know, as, as we sit here, there are literally millions of Star Wars fans around the world. And what I want to ask is, what do you think the value of fandom is at this capacity? I think fandom allows people to express themselves that in the way that they otherwise might not have you know you mentioned the political unrest that's going on in the united states as well as globally and i think for some people it's too painful to talk about and too difficult to process what's happening but if we can see it in a metaphor in a franchise like star wars then it becomes easier to understand what we're going through if we see the way that other characters, uh, maybe even fictional characters, cope with oppression and atrocities, then maybe it can teach us how we ourselves can make a difference and how we can cope. And similarly, it can also create connection where people might feel alone and alienated by some of the current events that are happening by connecting with others within their fandom, conversations can start. And these conversations can be um, between people who agree about certain topics or even between individuals who otherwise might disagree severely about maybe a certain political move or action or about um, some other political issue. And I think the value of fandom allows people to come together and allows people to regain this sense of humanity that I think can be lost in a lot of situations, especially when there are conflicts. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I completely agree. I think with, with fandom, there there is definitely that, that sense of, of community. Millions of fans worldwide have a shared passion for this seemingly basic storyline about good versus evil and um but it's it's also such a diverse universe in terms of like the stories that are being told and where they're coming from and people from different backgrounds within that universe not unlike our own universe so i think with that sense of diversity and divergent ideas and, and thoughts there's also a sense of camaraderie and unity within that universe so there are a lot of parallels between, as you said, the Star Wars universe and the galaxy far, far away mm-hmm. and, and our own universe. And um, I, I think it's important that we do draw from that, that we do draw those important parallels about how those characters deal with it and how we can apply that to our own society and keep a conversation going. And I think also that in spite of our, our, our divisiveness in this country, and, it, and it's never been as divisive as it, as it is right now, mm. I think what's key for all of us is to always have a sense of connection in some way, shape, or form, or a line of communication where there's some sort of respectability in spite of the different ideas or opinions that we have on, on things. But also that we always hold on to that idea that ultimately, I, I, I think people are, are really good people in this country and, and, and in the rest of the world. I, I think when you see all the violence, particularly like all the gun violence that, that, that happens in this country, 
and then the terrorist attacks that we've been seeing, I think people by and large are overwhelmingly good people. It's just that we see so much misery that it's very difficult to overcome that. But we can't lose sight of the fact that we have to maintain that idea of, of hope and goodness and, and humanity in our society. And that's always gonna that's always gonna trump the evil and the divisiveness and the ugliness that, that we see on in our world on, on a daily basis, you know? Yeah, what you're saying is so true. It's interesting to me that if we can take a lesson from Star Wars and see that if these small little furry Ewoks can overthrow a galactic empire, <laughs> anything yeah. can happen, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you so much for bringing us back to hope because I think that's exactly what not only Star Wars fans, but I think people around the world really need right now is hope. And I think you're right. We see so many horrific things in the news that it feels like there is no hope. But all in all, there's so many good things and good people out there and so many amazing things to look forward to, such as Star Wars Episode Eight. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. And, uh, And many, many other wonderful things. So thank you for bringing that up. Well, as we're talking, you know, you, you realize it's it's not as black and white as we, we see it out there, right? There's there's definitely a lot of good people and everything like that. And Star Wars at its core seems to be a clear case of good versus evil. But we know it's not as simple as that. I'm just curious what your thoughts are, you know, Jedi versus Sith and things like that. Well, uh, you know, again, I, I think the, the rivalry, the millennia, <laughs> the millennia-long rivalry between the the sith and and the jedi is divergent ideas personified i wouldn't necessarily say it was it's good versus evil with those two factions because as as we've learned they they just have a, a different philosophy they're wired differently and i think with past stories that we've heard with regard to the star wars universe and the beginnings of of the the sith and the jedi that they just have very different ways of how they approach the Force, how they view the Force, and how they manipulate it and use it to their benefit or make it as part of their own being or are one with the Force. Because depending on who you ask, you can you can ask a Sith and a Jedi, it's like, well, you know, do you perceive yourself to be good or evil? They'll say, well, you know, this is just our philosophy we don't consider ourselves evil. We just don't believe in what the Jedi believe in. And then a Jedi will say the same thing about a Sith. So I think it's always been about like two different philosophies within this religion, if you will, of the force um, and this all encompassing power that, that binds the universe and the galaxy together. I just always felt they don't see themselves as good or evil. They just have different philosophies not unlike what we're experiencing today in our, our, our society with regard to you know, political ideals or even, or even religious ideals uh, that exist in our society. Everyone's going to feel that my ideas are not necessarily better than yours, but they're just different. And this is the way I interpret my view of spirituality in, in our world. I think the Sith and the Jedi, they view the the Force in their own specific ways, and they interpret it in their own way. So I think there's parallels with regard to that as well, you know, between the the Star Wars universe and and, and our own. Absolutely. And I think we're really seeing where um, extremism can really lead to conflict. Yeah. In the prequels, we're seeing the Jedi Council taking really extreme measures with their Padawan, especially with Anakin which can be argued is exactly what led to him switching to the dark side. 
right. because they're teaching him that emotions are not okay and they're teaching him that it's not okay to feel fear or anger or love and in the meantime these emotions are human and natural and i think this kind of absolutism is actually what um, contributed to anakin not wanting to be a jedi as well yeah. as his fear and tragedy uh, his 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 pain after losing his mother and his fear of losing um, his wife and at the same time we see some examples where the Sith, especially Palpatine, practice, um, you know, extremism and preach certain ideas that are also not helpful. But what I really love about Rebels and, you know, some of the extended universe where we learn about the Grey Jedi is the sense of balance. This idea that we can have emotions and, and that's okay um, and we can still be a Jedi, for example. Right. Um, and I think that this kind of balance is really needed in our world today, too, to learn how to um, hold two seemingly opposite ideas and hold them gently, you know, not yeah. have them fight against one another. And so that's what I really like about the EU, um, especially with the idea of, of uh, the Great Jedi, which I'm really hoping will... Um, we'll start seeing in canon, um, you know, like in movies or upcoming TV shows. Well, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that because, um, and without, without, I hope I'm not jumping ahead too much, but it's twofold because I liken the idea of the great Jedi with Roman Catholicism and, you know, allowing priests to marry and how that's been, again, a millennia old rule that says, no, you, you, you know, we're not going to allow this and, and I think in a lot of ways, it, it might have restricted a lot of men who've gone into the priesthood to experience love and, 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 and experience emotion in, in many different factions beyond just having to be celibate, but also uh, not being able to marry. And I think we're going to touch upon that in The Last Jedi. You know, maybe it's even with, with Rey, because I think they might touch upon this idea that she could be a reincarnation of Anakin Skywalker, or she could be another force-produced child, you know, so some sort of immaculately conceived child that will ultimately bring balance to the Force. But I think in Rey's particular fashion, she's going to be able to draw from the light side of the Force and from the dark side of the Force to bring that balance. And that's kind of like you know, my my initial take on it. I, I know there's a gazillion theories <laughs> of, of, of what's going to happen in episode eight with regard to Rey and, and Luke and Kylo and just the other characters. So I, I think we're in for a huge surprise in, in more ways than one. I agree. I agree. I'm thrilled to see it. I, I think you're right. I think we're in for a lot of surprises. And I, I think you might be right in that she seems to draw from both sides. One thing we know is that she's extremely powerful. She was able to resist Kylo Ren's mind control with just very beginning uh, exposure to Jedi training. And the, the, the lightsaber seemed to have chosen her. I think she's incredibly, incredibly powerful. Yeah. I see her make a difference. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you look at some of the trailers and as, as it's part for the course with, you know, Lucasfilm and, you know, the producers of all the movies, they're very good at throwing fans off the scent and having you believe one thing that could potentially happen storyline wise versus, you know, the, the reality of what actually happens once the film is released. 
I, I think what, what is clear without any sort of ambiguity is the fact that Ray is at a point where she is extremely unbalanced and vulnerable. And she really needs and is seeking that guidance. Something inside me has always been there. But now it's awake. And I need help. It's, it's sort of like a child who's been given like this, you know, uh, nuclear bomb or something like that. And, and being told like, here, you have the power to use this and figure out how you want to do it. Well, no, she needs somebody to say, okay, this is, this would be bad in this instance. And I, I can't use it because uh, if I use it in the wrong way, I could ultimately destroy us all or something like that. Right. So um, I think, I think that's one thing that is, is, very evident in what we're going to see in Last Jedi, this a need for understanding in, in an otherwise volatile being that Ray is and that Ray is becoming. Right. I think I think it, it comes down to balance, and I think that's where you guys were definitely hitting it off. Is that there's we've we've seen both sides. We've seen you know, how repression can affect someone and you know make them go down to the dark side. And we saw how you know with the Sith, you know you get too much darkness in you, and it'll lead to your destruction. It brings me to another question, um, and it's for you, Dr. Scarlett. In one of your chapters in Star Wars Psychology, you discuss Anakin's path to the dark side. Can you please share this with us? Sure. From the prequels, we learn that when Anakin was taken from his mom, he was taken from slavery and then put into an environment where he didn't really have parental attention, like... Obi-Wan was kind of his father-like figure, but he didn't really get to see him very much. He was scolded by the Jedi, especially Yoda, who kept telling him that um, he has too many midichlorians and he's too powerful <laughs> and, and that his emotions were wrong. He missed his mother and couldn't understand why he wasn't allowed to too see Too many her. feelings, right? Too many feelings, he was told. Here is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate? leads to suffering but he was never told how to process them you know it's kind of the point you were making about ray like anakin was kind of like a ticking bomb too but he was never told how he was just told that every step he was making was wrong he was scrutinized chastised he was shamed but he was never taught mindfulness directly he was never taught how to manage his emotions he was only told that he was doing everything wrong and in a lot of ways this played directly to palpatine's plan because Palpatine then became the only seemingly compassionate figure in Anakin's life. He was the only one that told him that his emotions were okay and that he seemed to be understanding and caring and supportive and was the only one there for him when Anakin was really struggling. We've just received a report from Master Kenobi. He has engaged General Grievous. Any hope that Master Kenobi is up to the challenge? I should be there with him. It's upsetting to me to see that the Council doesn't seem to fully appreciate your talents. Don't you wonder why they won't make you a Jedi Master? I wish I knew. More and more I get the feeling that I'm being excluded from the Council. I know there are things about the Force that they're not telling me. They don't trust you, Anakin. They see your future. They know your power will be too strong to control. You must break through the fog of lies the Jedi have created around you. Let me help you to know the subtleties of the Force. I think that in a lot of ways, what we saw with Anakin's 
struggle with Yoda had a lot to do with Palpatine's plan. The books actually suggest that Palpatine had planned it all along to create this divide between Anakin and Yoda and that um, he actually trained Count Dooku to be a worthy fighter for Anakin to later kill so that Anakin would later become um, Palpatine's apprentice. Some of the books also suggest that Palpatine implanted Anakin with nightmares and visions of Padme dying to make him more scared and therefore more vulnerable to seek Palpatine's help. So I think a lot of things we're seeing about why Anakin switched to the dark side had to do with Palpatine's plan, but at least some of them had to do with the Jedi Council, I think, being stretched so thin that they became inflexible. And I think some of the original goals that were set for the Jedi were lost and, you know, in making them so rigid that they were not caring for the very people they were supposed to care for. That's a good point. And then, yeah, they, they, they also, talking about Qui-Gon, Jin's character, um, they, they sort of allude to, to, to his disagreement with the Council and how that could have possibly provoked infighting with, with the Jedi Council and the divisiveness within the Jedi Council. And that, that probably could have led to uh, when Joda, you know, mentioned that, you know, we've been clouded by the Sith and by the dark side to not see the forest for the trees with, with regard to this, um, this deception and this plan of Palpatine all along to usurp Anakin from, from them. And it's like you said, Dr. Scarlet, it's this whole idea of like Anakin was so vulnerable because of the Clone Wars that he was separated from, from his mentor in Obi-Wan. And that opened up the door for Palpatine to really corrupt him and manipulate Anakin in the way he saw fit. And yeah, it's interesting that he used Count Dooku in that regard as well in, in saying you're, you're going to be a worthy opponent for him, but ultimately I'm going to have him destroy you. Yep. And that will hopefully add to this sense that I'm trying to instill in Anakin of empowering him. And I'm demonstrating to you how powerful the dark side of the force can be. Isn't it enticing? And then later on we figure out, or, you know, again, Palpatine deceives him even more by saying, if you if you use the force well enough and you really draw from its power, you can even have the ability to bring people back to life. And you can put aside this this idea, these nightmares that you have about your your beloved dying um, in your dreams. And we can put that to rest because the force is so powerful. And if you can manipulate it well enough, you can even bring people back to the dead. And that was that was essentially the the final nail in the coffin to sort of seduce Anakin into the dark side. His proverbial appetite was wet by that notion that he could do that. Absolutely. He, he, he manipulated him all the way through. And I mean, there's no doubt that Darth Vader became a very villainous character. And I, I, I want to lead into another question for you, Philip. You play a villainous character, too. Can you please talk about your role as the fifth brother? Your fear betrays you. Well, you know, um, from from a personal perspective, and, and I know other people share this opinion, or other actors, I should say, share this opinion, it, it's just so much fun playing a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's always it's always great playing the hero, but I think there there are so many interesting aspects of playing a bad guy, and and I think in in sort of a, a twisted way, when you get to play a villain, it it sort of taps into our innermost darkest animalistic desires. 
to sort of like um, play on that or tap into that. Um, and I know we, as, as human beings and, and as, as a society of, of human beings, you know, we, we strive for, for, for goodness, but, you know, we are creatures of nature. We are, we are animals. And I think we have like these base instincts of protecting ourselves if we feel threatened or something like that. And sometimes there, there are dark aspects to our humanity. And I, and I think in a weird twisted way, it's sort of like, it, it's, it's, it's like an impassioned thing. I'll give you an example. I, I really, really detest guns. I think gun violence in this country is something that, that we really have to rein in. Otherwise, it'll be our demise. But secretly, I think, I think on a subconscious level, you know, I've also been in movies or something like that where I've shot a machine gun or something like that or shot a gun. And, and there's something like that's, that, that in a twisted way, emotionally exciting about doing that. And I, I think that's sort of like what I, I kind of like about playing Fifth Brother. There's sort of like this darkness to him that I wouldn't otherwise experience as a normal human being because, you know, A, it's not in my real true nature to do that. And obviously, you know, society dictates that, you know, you, you can't just arbitrarily yeah, decide no, that no. you want to hurt other human beings, you know, because we have laws and we have morals and things like that to prevent us from doing so. And it's also the fact that I really enjoy the fact that as a Sith Inquisitor, he is an underling of Darth Vader. Inquisitor, I thought Lord Vader was coming aboard. I wasn't aware that you- Lord Vader has sent me in his place. Well, this unnecessary diversion may have compromised the success of Agent Callus's mission. We must return. I care not for your struggles. I will succeed where you and Callus have failed. As we all know, you know, Darth Darth Vader is the has become the the epitome of evil. But there's also something that that draws us to him. I think, it, and I think it's that power that he has that we see on screen, and how he's able to wield it. And I think I think that's also something that's that's sometimes enticing to us as as human beings on a subconscious level. So I don't know. I think that's kind of my take on it and, and why I think there's sort of like this <laughs> sort of yeah. twisted, you know, fun aspect of playing a baddie. On, well, on I mean, series. it's very interesting to hear a perspective of an actor, you know, how you get in, involved. I mean, but as, you know, just a viewer as I am, I, I'm, I'm definitely into Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers and stuff. Maybe they look really cool or whatever, but I, I do like the idea of Vader's power and things like that. After what Philip said, Dr. Scarlet, what do you think makes villains such as Darth Vader, the Inquisitors, and even Admiral Thrawn so compelling and beloved? <laughs> um, I think that for many of us, as, as Philip mentioned, there is a, a side in us that maybe has an attraction to the naughty side. Not that we would do those kinds of things, but I think for many people, there's maybe even a little bit of repression that might occur, you know, for children. Children get up and go to school and then they have the after school activities and then they come home and then they do homework and they go to sleep and then they get up and then they repeat. And for adults, we get up and go to work and then we come home and we have to take care of the kids and clean the house and we go to sleep and then we get up and we repeat. And there's not a lot of room for play behavior. And I think that a little bit of an excitement of almost like vicariously living out through that character. Again, not that we ourselves would would want to hurt anybody, but I think there's an attraction to being naughty. I yeah. think that's why a lot of times uh, people m might want to cosplay as villains. And I personally uh, really like villains. I, I like learning about villains and understanding their philosophy and their psychology. But in real life, I would never be one if 
I was a part of the Star Wars universe in real life, I would not be on the dark side. So I think for many of us, there is um, just the desire to express ourselves um, in a way that maybe is sometimes forbidden by society, but not necessarily in an evil um, kind of way. And I find that when people allow themselves to express themselves in a way that they um, feel heard and, and, and feel less restricted, for example, through cosplay or through painting or through writing, um, then there's less of that um, yearning or less of um, that feeling of feeling restricted, if that makes sense. <laughs> Too much repression leads to the dark side. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> well, I, actually, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Rebels. I, I love Admiral Thrawn, I, and he is just such a, a strategist and a classy villain. Patience, Governor. Acting out of emotion will not serve us here. We must wait and watch. And when we find our spy, and we will find them, we shall turn them from an obstacle to an asset. Wouldn't you agree? Agent Gallus. I think Thrawn is absolutely incredible. I, I just got the book. I'm excited to read the book of his origins, but I love the way he's depicted in Rebels. He's so calculating that he's always a step ahead of the Rebels, at the very least, is keeping up with them. When he went to Hera Sundula's house, he knew exactly what she was there after. He can get into each character's head and understand what drives them, what motivates them. He possesses the instinct and the psychology that I think none of the other characters do. It's what allows him to be so good at his job, and I'm absolutely fascinated with him. Being a part of Rebels, Philip, are, are you a fan of the show just in general? Oh gosh, yeah. First of all, when I when I first found out that I was cast in the role, I just got all choked up because <laughs> it was something that I knew I really, really wanted to get. Like once you've read for it, it's like, oh man, I, I, I think I did really well with this. Let's hope you get the good news that you hope you're going to get with regard to saying, you know, hey, we, we really like what you did. We'd like to cast you as fifth brother. I think what, what makes it so good is the fact that it is canon. It is it is part of the overall Star Wars universe. It ties into just about everything else with regard to the prequel trilogies and with uh, Luke Skywalker's world and, and the world of um, Princess Leia and all that. It just makes it all the better because, again, it really expands upon this universe. It, when you introduce the characters that you have in Star Wars and, and you see their backstory and how ultimately they will tie into the four, five, and six trilogy of movies, it just makes it so much more interesting. You know, you really see the perspectives of other people that are not necessarily from A New Hope to Empire Strikes Back and then ultimately with Return of the Jedi. So I, I think kudos to, you know, the people behind, um, you know, Star Wars in general, Lucasfilm and all that for really tackling that and saying, no, 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 we're going to, we're not going to create some just weird random little spinoff here. We're going to make this part of the overall Star Wars universe because it's important to them and it's important to the fans. To, it's like um, a missing link. Just exactly. Right exactly. In. It's so perfect. Yeah, I think Dave Filoni did such an amazing job with both with Clone Wars, but especially with Rebels. I feel like the the, the Rebels are 
kind of a, a series of their own, but it, as you said, it fits so well. It, it, it's the story that I think we all wanted to have about the beginning of the rebellion and what it took to, to get it all started. I am a huge fan, and I had been from the very first episode, just in seeing Ezra and the way that he fit in with the Rebels was absolutely incredible. And what really spoke to me is that in Rebels, unlike in the movies, I thought we really um, saw a really um, positive interaction between men, which I haven't seen in a lot of movies in terms of understanding emotions. So I think stereotypically, men are at a disadvantage because a lot of times they're taught, like Anakin was, from early age that emotions are not acceptable and that emotions need to be suppressed and pushed down. Yeah. And in one of the episodes, um, forgive me if it's a spoiler to anyone, um, where when Ezra finds out that his parents are killed, he's devastated, understandably so. And Kanan, who is his Jedi Master at this point, is comforting him and not only is compassionate to him but encourages him to explore his emotions in a really powerful way and I had not seen two men talk about emotions in such an open honest and compassionate way as I did on Rebels. That's actually a really good point because again you have to you have to wonder when you when you look at Kanan's story and and why he approaches Ezra that way maybe he's sort of jumped on the proverbial bandwagon of like, you know, well, what's, what's so wrong with emotions? And, and he could be looking back in hindsight to the fall of the old Republic yeah. and the fall of, of the Jedi order. Um, and say, you know, looking back in hindsight, maybe it wasn't such a good idea that we were so repressed and maybe I'm going to take a different approach now. And that's not necessarily to say that I'm going to succumb to the dark side of the force. But I'm a powerful enough Jedi to know that I can control my emotions and give this boy in Ezra the comfort that he needs from the loss that he's experienced. I, I, just, I just think that, you know, looking back at, him, at it, just a more profound interpretation of that, that's, that's sort of my take on it with, with regard to why he may have approached Ezra that way as opposed to saying, well, you know, yeah, this, this horrible thing happened to you, but, you know, all is well in the Force and have faith in the Force and you know, you'll be fine. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give this, this kid the, the emotional hug that he needs and, and comfort. Um, whereas in the past, I might not have done that. I might've adhered to this, to this rigidity of, of what the, you know, the Jedi is all about and saying any, any emotions are bad for you right. and will lead to the dark side. I mean, at this time, the Jedi council is done. And I, yeah. and my personal opinion is that, over time, he's started to have these emotions and experience them. The loss of the Jedi Council, his kind of love story with yeah. um, Hera, you mm -hmm. know, and I think he's a little bit more open to his emotions, and he's he's seeing maybe a little bit of himself. He didn't get fully trained, you know, before Order 66 happened, so maybe, you know, he sees a little bit of himself, and he wants to give the compassion he never got. Yeah, I think so, and I think that, once again, what the show does really good job of is showing that one can hold these two opposite ideas you know in um i forget the name of the episode where zeb and um agent callus agent callus it was the honorable ones the honorable ones that's right in the episode called the honorable ones so zeb and agent callus are um on this um planet they're stranded there and of course they're from opposite sides right they're sworn enemies 
But once they get to know each other, they realize that they both thought they were the heroes. They both thought that they were on the good side, fighting the bad guys, and that both of their people had been hurt by the people of the other individual. And it was so powerful seeing these two individuals who are in this dire situation, who normally would hate each other and fight against each other, now bonding together to protect each other. And I thought it was such a powerful change for both of them to see that there might be some good in mm. some of the people on the other side. I didn't take it as a trophy. The Lassat guardsman I faced, he fought well, died with honor. He gave me the rifle before. The Busan Kira. The what? The Busan Kira. The Sat warrior way. When one is defeated by a superior foe, he gifts his weapon. I was... I was only doing my duty. It was nothing personal. And then we see that in episode 7 with Finn, once again to show that you can't stereotype, right? Not everybody that's one of the stormtroopers is bad, right? And not, not everybody who's on either side is good or bad. And people have made mistakes everywhere. And I thought that that episode in particular in Rebels was really, really well done with driving home this notion that nobody's all good and all bad. Uh, but rather, if we really get to know each other, then we can really increase this sense of humanity and connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that goes yeah. right back to, you know, what we were talking about with the clear line between Jedi versus Sith. You know, it's not that simple. Do you have any other thoughts, Philip? Yeah, no, I, I think um, it'll. it's going to be just very interesting to see what, what develops over the next final chapters of, you know, the, the saga of Grey. I think we're in store for a lot more of that fine line be between what is the true definition of good and evil. And it's all about perceptions as well. It's about individual perceptions. And I think that's a, a nice way to develop this franchise and to develop the this, this general storyline. Whereas, you know, initially with the first Star Wars films, it was a clear cut thing about good versus evil. But now we're really getting a lot deeper into this into this notion of like, this is my philosophy, and that's your philosophy. And it's not necessarily about good and evil. And again, depending on who you ask, they'll say, well, I don't think what we're doing is evil. It's just, it is what it is. This is this is just our take on everything. And it's more about like power and how it entices versus like, we think we're evil. We just want the power. And we know the good that comes from being in a, in a position of power with the new order and things like that. Um, they could look at the resistance as being evil, you know, because they are they are defying that sense of order that they feel that they can provide the galaxy. I think that's a lot more interesting than than clear cut, you know, like I'm Darth Vader, I'm the bad guy, and I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm the good guy. Yeah. You know, it's it's it, it makes for a much more interesting uh, storyline that I think we're going to be um, I think we're going to be bombarded with you know with uh, the final two chapters in this in this whole Luke Skywalker saga. Get ready to question all your beliefs. Yeah, and yeah. three more after that. That's good. <laughs> well, I, I do have a, another question since we're on this broad topic of acceptance. So the Star Wars universe is a very diverse one. We see people and beings from many different universes. What message do you think this sends in terms of diversity, equality, and representation? We'll start with you, Philip. 
Oh, gosh. Well, again, not, not to sound like a broken record here, but I think the amazing thing about the Star Wars universe, and, and I think in particular lately with the storylines of uh, Rogue One, you know, just, just from an overall casting perspective, how we see not just the different uh, types of aliens in our, in our culture, but if you're looking at, you know, just human beings within, within the storyline, how, how diverse we are, you know, we have Asian representation, we have African American representation, we have Latino representation, we have Anglo or a white uh, representation. I think that is not only important, but it's also by design to demonstrate that with our country in particular, that diversity, that mosaic of different colors and ethnic backgrounds and different creeds and religions is what ultimately makes us strong and will continue to make us strong. It's the real reason of why America is so great, not some other person's interpretation of what, what they think makes America great. It is, it is our diversity. It is our beliefs, our different skin tones and colors our infusing of our own individual cultures into the fabric of American society and ultimately our global society. Those are the things that bring us together, a common understanding, a respect for each other's views and cultures and learning about those different things. If, and I think obviously when, when we learn about a different culture, we learn to respect them more and we fear them less. And with, with, without that fear or when you take away that fear, you take away the prejudices and, and the bigotry. So I, I think if they continue to, to really hammer us with this idea and this notion that look at how beautiful this colorful fabric is and ultimately how that makes us better as a society, as a world, as a universe, instead of how it breaks us apart. If we continue that down that route, it not only makes for a more rewarding entertainment experience, but it rewards us as a society as well. And it teaches us that all the diversity is important and it's needed for us to have a future in, in every way, shape or form. Very beautifully said. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have a painting hanging up above the fireplace with all the characters from the six movies, the original trilogy and the prequels standing together not on different sides of each other, but standing together. And these are the main characters, the heroes and the villains, as well as a lot of the other, um, a lot of the other people and species. And it creates a really powerful image, very much in line with what you just said about yeah. diversity and about the beauty of diversity, you know? And Luke Skywalker was essentially a refugee when his aunt and uncle were killed he had to flee his planet uh, before becoming the Jedi that, that he is. At least in some ways, I can relate to that. You know, my family and I were refugees as well. We escaped a dangerous environment and to come to the United States. Yeah. Um, and I'm forever grateful to be able to come to this country, to be able to escape persecution and, and violence, and to be a part of such a diverse culture and then to see it reflected and celebrated in star wars is truly an honor i mean very beautiful we can talk about star wars forever <laughs> literally <laughs> very thick. <laughs> but i i know that you're you have to go uh philip uh, and we have very limited time with you but i i do want to say how much of a privilege it was to have you on the show and 
how much we appreciate your time. Well, the pleasure is mine, and uh, and you know, really, uh, thank you again for for bringing me onto the show. Uh, I know, uh, like you, I'm very excited for uh, Last Jedi. I think I think Ryan Johnson was a perfect pick to uh, bring in as director and writer of this uh, this next film. And I think what's so special about him is the fact that he is definitely stirring the pot. He is he's got his own ideas. Uh, they're very brazen. He's going to throw the proverbial wrench into into the machinery of what the Star Wars ideal is. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. I think it's something that um, will make the trilogy much more interesting. I think we're going to be in store for some huge, huge surprises where we're not only dumbfounded by what what develops in the movie, but excited to see what J.J. Abrams does and brings to the table after you know introducing us to Force Awakens and then taking his lead uh, or taking the reins, so to speak, after what Ryan Johnson introduces to us. In Last Jedi, so it's it, it all makes for some really exciting stuff. Yeah, I, I can't wait. You should see me. I'm I'm seriously just as you're talking, I'm beaming from ear to <laughs> ear with. Well, and I'll and I'll just if I may, I'll just leave you with one thing. Obviously, I can't show you, I can't demonstrate to you, but um, uh, another really good friend of mine who's a major major Star Wars fan, um, he sort of posted this little uh, this little sort of like political type cartoon, and it's just a simple thing where there's a husband and wife and. Um, the husband is at a refrigerator door and there's a calendar open to December. And then the wife is sort of peering over his shoulder and she says, uh, counting the days till Christmas, honey. And he goes, no, counting the days to the release of last Jedi. <laughs> that, that's us right now. It is, exactly. like, but it just goes to show you how, how huge December <laughs> is, you know, versus just not just Christmas, but the release of this film. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Can't wait. Well, Philip, uh, would you like to tell anybody how to reach you? Maybe a Twitter or anything like that? If, if you uh, just real quickly, I mean, I'm I'm Phil Anthony Rod at both Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'd love for you guys to come and chime in, uh, follow me if you will. Um, I always like to uh, talk about the upcoming projects that I have to do, but I also infuse a lot of a little bit of personal me um, to give people some insight as to what my everyday life is like. So I'm Phil Anthony Rod at both Twitter and Instagram, and then Philip Anthony hyphen Rodriguez at Facebook. Awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much again for being on our show. It's an honor to have you. The honor is mine, Dr. Janina Scarlett. You guys are awesome. And thank you, Dustin. You guys are always such a pleasure to to, uh, hang out with and uh, hope to do this again sometime in some other capacity. And if not, maybe we'll see each other at one of the many other cons in the future. Yes. Can't wait. We would love that. (laughs) Well, this is uh, Dustin McGinnis uh, with Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can reach me at The Valiant Geek on Twitter. And this is Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me under Superhero Therapy pretty much anywhere on social media. Take care, everybody, and let's enjoy Star Wars. Bye.